This is the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. Hosts Matt McCrone, Ryan Moreland, and Glenn Lotzenheiser talk everything Tennessee Titans. This show is made for the fans that bleed two-tone blue. Justin Hartwig, and you're listening to Two-Tone Uncensored. This is Two-Tone Uncensored, the best damn Tennessee Titans podcast you'll ever listen to. I am your host, Ryan Moreland. With me, as always, the only man who still drinks Zima's, Matt Necrone. What's up, Matt? Can honestly say I've never had one of them in my life. Liar. Doth protest too much. And we have Glenn, still better looking than Khloe Kardashian Lotzenheiser. This is a fact. How did his crush on me has got to stop, but you are speaking the truth, so I'm good with it. We got a really good show for you tonight. We're going to cover the, the news, the bag. We got the defensive backs. We have a special guest coming in on the second half of the show. Real quick, we got it down to our, our finalists in the scavenger hunt. Two guys went above and beyond, and, and we're going to send it down just to these two because of the effort they put into it. Our finalists are going to be Josh Ebel and Josh Pryor, who will enter the next round. So both of you will be getting in touch with you. The second round is going to be a 10-question quiz on the show. Whoever performs better will end up winning those two tickets to the Minnesota Vikings game week one at... Uh, Nissan Stadium, so very exciting stuff, guys. Thanks to them, thanks to everybody who submitted their scavenger hunt. It ended up being a lot of fun. So, let's just jump right into the show proper here. Jump into the mailbag, guys. Very first question we have here is from Zachary Allen Kasky. He wants to know, how does Murray get back to his 2014 form with an offensive line who doesn't match up with Dallas? I think it's less a question of him getting into form as it was him being an anomaly of out of form last year. That offense was not designed for a uh, downhill power back. The blocking schemes that the Eagles were using, just it's not going to work. Is our line as good as Dallas's? Absolutely not. But he's going to have the right system where he has a chance to go out there and do his thing. I really think we're going to see a lot more of the old DeMarco Murray that people are talking about and that proved that last year was less an issue of him being out of form than just the system not fitting the player. And that happens to a lot of guys. That's why when players leave our team and they go off and perform really well somewhere else, they're in the right system for them. And we're going to see the same thing with DeMarco this year. Yeah, I agree. I think that obviously we don't have the offensive line that Dallas had or even has at this point. But again, it's using him correctly. You can't you can't do what Philly was doing. He's he's not a real shifty guy. Like Glenn said, he's a downhill runner. I think in open field he can definitely he's not a real power back, but I definitely I've seen him truck through a couple guys um in the last couple of years. Even in Philly he did that in, on occasion. But I think with what we're trying to do, I think he's gonna be successful. Yeah, you guys both said it here. You know, he was used in the wrong scheme in Philly. He needs that head of steam, that downhill 
style of running, and that's what he's going to run here. So that's going to add a lot to his success. But you bring up a great point here, Zach. We're not built like Dallas on that offensive line. I mean, the Cowboys have, uh, in my opinion, the best offensive line in the NFL, and we're not able to keep up with that. So I don't think you'll see the kind of success he had in that 2014 season. But I definitely think he'll be more successful than what we saw him last year because we're going to be using him the way he ought to be used. Next question here from Charles Scaife. Who will represent us in the Pro Bowl next year? I think Casey gets in the honest way this time. He'll he'll go with the first group. Delaney Walker will have to have another great season to get that first group nomination back in there. It was a travesty that he didn't last year. I don't think he's going to have the numbers that he did uh, last year just for the way the sounds like the offense is going to work. So Walker will probably have a harder time getting in. After that, it's going to just be, uh, you know, who shows up? Murray's a possibility. If he runs like we're you know wanting him to run, he could make that spot. It's going to be Casey. Everybody else is kind of a question mark. Eventually, Mariota is going to be the guy. We still have some veterans hanging around who will probably keep him from getting in there in the AFC side of it. But uh, right now, Casey would be the only person I would lock in there. I wouldn't even say anyone on this team is a lock, but to to steer away from Casey and Walker, a bold prediction would be Marcus Mariota. I think he has a long shot to get there, but it is possible. I know Jameis Winston, I believe, I'm not sure if it was because other players ahead of him were in the playoffs or, or what the case was that he was elected to the Pro Bowl, but I'm pretty sure he went, and uh, that's Marcus's, uh, that's his home. So I, I think if he can have a, a decent season, the votes could go his way, and we could see him. I don't, I don't think other than maybe DeMarco Murray could also – get there as far as all the volume we plan on giving him depending on what Derrick Henry does if we don't see much of Henry I could see Murray performing well and possibly being the next best choice as far as Delaney Walker and Jarrell Casey I would say that they are probably the team favorites to get there but just because that's what everyone's kind of expecting out of out of Delaney Walker I don't think he sees the numbers he saw last year and Casey, he could he could go every year, but he kind of got he gets snubbed more often than not. And last year, he he actually got snubbed, but was Casey only made it because somebody else was either hurt or was going to you know further on into the playoffs. So I mean, but I, I would go ahead and say a, a bold prediction would be Mariota. The the Pro Bowl is kind of a joke now, and not even kind of it is a joke with half the NFL getting in, but. I think uh, Jarrell Casey, you know, every year he ends up getting snubbed. Even last year, as you guys said, got snubbed even though he did make it in there. And I think he'll make it in. I agree with what Glenn said about Delaney Walker. It's going to be hard for him to get in with us running the balls that much. I think Marcus Mariota will make it. You see a lot of quarterbacks just not want to play that game. And... You did see Jameis Winston get in last year because of so many quarterbacks dropping out of it. So I think uh, Mariota, a full season, a full healthy season, I I think you'll see him get in. After that, I just, I don't know if I really see anybody. You know, we could end up seeing one of our linebackers uh, if if they really get after the quarterback in Arakbo or Mason, but they would have to have a pretty spectacular season. Or... 
I don't know, maybe Rashad Johnson, if he can grab another six picks this year, but I doubt he's able to reproduce what he was able to do last season. It's hard to say, but I think that my two favorite would probably be uh, Jarrell Casey and Marcus Mariota. You know, who knows? 400 people will drop out this year, and we'll see Cody Riggs starting in the Pro Bowl. And Matt. (laughs) Yeah. And the grounder, Matt. Next question... Peter Ortensi sends this one in. How will the Rams do this year record-wise, and where do you think we'll end up drafting with their first pick? I think the Rams are probably a little bit worse off this year. They'll probably drop back a couple games. I'm not sure you know, who will draft. Uh, just biggest need, best available player at that point. But I, I don't think the Rams will be as good this year, even though they're going to have Todd Gurley healthy the whole year. Because teams are just going to tee off on him, and there's not really anybody to make them be honest about it. I'm hoping, obviously, inside the top ten, but probably right outside of it. I think that they're they got a really good defense, but like Glenn just said, their offense is pretty one-dimensional. I don't see Jared Goff starting this season right away. I think uh, Case Keenum will probably get that start, and. I don't really like what they have. I know Jared Cook just left for Green Bay, uh, other than Tavon Austin, and I honestly can't think of anyone else they have on offense other than Gurley. So I, I don't think they're very impressive, but I do think that they'll probably get right around seven, eight wins possibly, and that'll probably lead to be around the top ten pick. I've told you all that I think the Tennessee Titans are going right in that 6-10, and 7-9 and nine area. I've gotten a lot of flack for being a pessimist about it, but I think the Tennessee Titans will be getting their first draft pick because of the Rams, not because of us. I, I think this team's going to drop a decent amount. I think they're going to be in that five-win area. That offense is very one-dimensional. Check out their last eight games. The Rams not only had not very successful win-wise, but look at Todd Gurley's stats just plummet. He had one 100-yard rushing game in those last eight games. Teams have figured out that they can't do anything else, and it's not going to be any different this year. They can't throw the football. Kenny Britt's their only wide receiver that wasn't in the lollipop guild. They have nobody with height. They cannot throw the ball. They don't have the team set up to pass the rock. They have one outstanding young running back, but if that's all you have, any team can shut you down just by stacking the box. I think they're going to have a really, really hard time winning football games, even as good as their defense is. doesn't take a genius to figure out if you don't put points on the board, you're not going to win football games. So I think that we're going to end up getting a nice draft pick. I would probably say it's in that upper half of the top ten or just right outside of it. Next question submitted by Mallory Walsh. Which position battle are you most looking forward to? Absolutely the uh, third-string quarterback battle. I just I can't wait to see how that works out. Or maybe um, a little bit more towards the left guard. The one that's probably the most volatile, though, is going to be the defensive backs. You know, the guys we're covering tonight, just to see who's starting on the other side of McCourty, see who's going to be playing in the slot, what the formations are going to look like. We had a lot of different pieces there this year, and a lot of guys who are not as well-rounded as I would like them to be. So I'm really curious to see what they do with this group. I'm intrigued by a few positions. I think that the DBs are obviously one important aspect. I'm actually curious to see who we keep out of Sankey, Andrews, and Cobb. I think only one of those guys make it. 
My bet would be Andrews, but I don't know that. But honestly, I think the most important one that I'm watching out for is the wide receivers. I want to see who starts out across from Kendall Wright, when, where we put Kendall Wright at. There's speculation we could put Matthews as the X receiver. I want to see where DGB falls. I want to see where Tajay Sharp ends up. There's a lot of questions on the receiving core that I want to see get answered. So that's the one I'm looking forward to. I think the wide receivers and defensive backs are both really good ones, but the one that I would say I'm most intrigued by is that left guard. Uh, you know, you don't know who's going to be there yet. It could be someone who's not even with the team right now, as we said when we went over the offensive line. Quentin Spain's there right now. You know, you got some more veteran guys on the team that could end up taking that spot. I think it's the most interesting and probably the most important, you know, getting that offensive line in a good rhythm to help out this running game, to help out Marcus Mariota. So that's the one I'm going to be looking forward to the most. And last question here in the mailbag, guys. HN Titan Up sends us this one. Will Mike Malarkey earn his stripes with the Titans, or is he going to be gone soon? And I want you guys to guess about how many years do you think he's going to be with the team? I think this works. I think this is going to be a pretty good year for him. He's going to get at least you know this year and next year, as long as you know what looks like it's going to happen happens with the ground game developing. It's hard to put an end date on that with with a quarterback developing like Mariota, the the running game looking like it's going to turn into what we think it's going to turn into. He could be here for a long time. I mean, you know, five, seven years, longer. It just it depends on if it works. I'm going to say until Mariota cannot get this team to the playoffs after about three years, if they can't get this team to the playoffs at that point, that's when they start looking at replacing them. It's kind of hard to, to say how long he'll be on the team. Even though he could get canned next year, he, I think he has a three-year deal, I believe. So let's just say, hypothetically, we go 8-8, eight and eight, just missed the playoffs. He's obviously not going anywhere. Next season, hypothetically, we win the division, make the playoffs, get knocked out. I think he's definitely going to stay. I don't see him getting re-signed at that point. Although that third year is going to be pretty crucial as far as what we do with him. I like him. I'm happy to have him. He's not obviously the best looking coach on paper. I think that if he can prove all the doubters wrong and get us to back to middle of the road for right now, I think in the future we can definitely win some games with him. And I think John Robinson's a great compliment to have alongside him. So sound like a broken record, but heading the right direction. And I think we're going to improve. We all know and all the listeners know how short the job security is in the NFL for coaches, but really, Malarkey's in the best position that you can be in as a head coach. He's taking over a team that is getting better, but they don't expect a lot from, you know, they don't expect the world from as they're in their, this growth process and really changing the identity. So he kind of has a few years before they're expecting a whole lot from him. So I think he'll keep on the team, you know, for those few years, but I I just don't see Malarkey, and I'm not a fan of his, and I've made it known before, I don't see him being able to coach a team deep in the playoffs. So I think when we get to that point where we're uh, a playoff team, we're winning you know, in that window like 10 to, to 12 games or more even, in that window where we're you know, winning those kind of games, I don't want this team to end up like the Cincinnati Bengals who go win – you know, 12 games in a season play outstanding, losing the first game of the playoffs. Uh, we're building a great team here, and that'll help him a lot because his general manager is amazing. 
And how many times have we seen a rebuilding team keep a coach a little too long because the general manager built a great team? I think that you're looking in that three- to five-year window, though, because I think we're going to get better, and it's not going to take a stellar coach to improve that because of the the personnel that we have there and what we've been able to do in the offseason. I think this team's going to continue to keep improving. So I think he's going to be around for a while, but I'm putting it at three to five years. And, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I get the, the surprise, but I just don't see it happening. That's all we have for the mailbag. Now we're going to head to the news with anchorman Glenn Lotzenheiser. I sent Baxter out this morning, told him to go find me some good news. We only came up with one story. Baxter, sorry. The only thing I want to talk about today is just is just uh, Tom Brady's accepting this ridiculous penalty. You got to ask a couple questions about it. How do you think the Patriots do this year? Do they still make the playoffs? And how ridiculous or how appropriate do you think this fine is or the suspension is for what is basically an equipment penalty? And I think the, the uh, recommended penalty for that is twenty five thousand dollars or something like that. And this turns into uh, suspending one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the game for four games. Don't feel sorry for the Patriots. Total injustice to me for Tom Brady. Slow down, Glenn. No, I don't think it's that ridiculous. I don't really think it's about what he actually did. I think it's a matter of Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and that staff getting over any way they can to win. I mean, they've... They've already proven in the past they're cheaters. I don't know exactly what happened, and I don't. I don't think anybody really knows. But when you're when you get accused of something, and you go out of your way to destroy a phone, who knows what was on that phone? It could have been anything. It could have been completely unrelated that he didn't want anyone to know about. It could have been something you know involving that. But I don't think it's the actual air pressure in the ball that's getting him four game suspension. I think it's. A matter of you got caught too many times on the wrong side of the fence, and it's time to own up to it. I think they've obviously been very successful in the past. I think even with this four-game suspension, they're still going to be all right. They could probably win three out of those four games without him. The division's getting slightly better, but I still see them as the favorites until somebody can prove me otherwise. That's pretty much where they stand. I don't, I don't think it's that ridiculous. I don't think the actual crime fits the four games, but I think it's a matter of what's been done in the past. No, I'm going to disagree with Matt and hundred percent agree with Glenn. This was asinine. There's no reason why a guy gets suspended four games for such a minor issue. You saw how many quarterbacks came out and said that they liked the ball a little underinflated or a little overinflated. And it's, it's not an issue at all. It is just, Roger Goodell trying to get one over on Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick and that entire front Who made office. the complaint? Who made the complaint? The Colts? The Colts, yes. Yeah, the Colts who got their asses kicked. Right, but, I mean, it's a problem for somebody. Not defending the Colts, but I'm just saying, like, it's not like nobody cares. Somebody cares, apparently. They, they could have played that game with a steel ball, and they still would have died. The Colts could have played that game with 13 men on the field, and it wouldn't have mattered. It wasn't about ball pressure. Only one of those balls was even outside the allowable window. I agree. They had no evidence whatsoever that Tom Brady had anything to do with it. Now, I do think Tom Brady had something to do with it. Don't get me wrong. But they had zero evidence. So this is the NFL going after somebody with no evidence, giving a penalty far above 
what they normally give, the standard for this kind of crime, just to try to get one over on a team. And even though I hate the Patriots and, and I don't care that they're losing Tom Brady, I don't like what this means for us and for other teams in the National Football League where Roger Goodell just goes out and just to show that his reach is bigger than yours and he can do whatever he wants. Now, this was absolutely asinine. It shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't have gotten the suspension. And, uh, you know, it's just terrible for the NFL. My biggest issue with it is they're punishing the wrong guy. If they're trying to, like Matt said, take all the accumulated instances, they want to punish somebody, suspend Belichick for four games. You know, that that I don't think anybody would really argue with about because it's his squad. Everything that happens out there is his responsibility. Yeah. The the idea that you're going to suspend Brady for all that, it, it just it doesn't make sense. You're not punishing the guy who did it. He didn't go there and you know, personally the balls. Like Ryan said, there's only one ball that was really out of spec. You're also playing a cold-weather game, so they're all going to deflate a little bit. All the you know players have come out and said it. They hired their scientists who said it. They're, they're suspending Brady as a punishment so Goodell can show his power and appease the rest of the league that he's not just there to do whatever Kraft wants him to do, which is kind of the impression a lot of people had of him. But suspend the coach. It's it's his team. Let him pay for it. I agree with that 100. percent I think he should. They should have suspended Belichick for four games too. Not two, but instead of Brady. Um, but at the same time, Brady is Belichick on the field. I mean, that's his biggest weapon. That's hurting Belichick. But I mean, I agree with you completely as far as you should penalize uh, Bill Belichick and not Tom Brady. But I'm not as offended as you guys are with this whole Goodell thing. I'm not a Goodell fan by any means, but for the for the penalty that was given, if we could give that over to Belichick instead of Brady, I'd be happy with that as well. I really like I know that the Patriots have this history of of pulling one over or they're above the law, but you can't just throw out a, a garbage suspension like this because you're on you're unable to get them somewhere else. I don't know. They're just operating outside of the rules now. The NFL is. Goodell's just doing whatever he wants. And it's not good because of what it could mean for the future for our team. You know, if Marcus Mariota likes the ball deflated a little bit because he has, a small, or has smaller hands, you know, that's where it comes from. As Brady has a little bit smaller hands. He likes to have an underinflated ball. Guys that have big hands want an overinflated football. If Marcus Mariota asked him to take a little bit of an error, which I don't think he would. I think he's an upstanding guy and he wouldn't go for the advantage. But if he did, now he's going to get four games because of it. Now they're they're going to go after him. It's completely unfair. It sets a dangerous precedent. I just think it's a completely jackass move by the NFL and by Roger Goodell. Do you think that the four games had anything to do with Brady not complying to anything they asked? It's possible, but at the same time, you know, look, look who his wife is. If he's got pictures on that phone and the NFL wants to look through there, <laughs> are you going to trust some jackass that the NFL hires to go through your phone to not send those pictures to himself, to not copy them and leak them? Glenn, I swear to you, I thought that today on my way home from work. <laughs> See? I'm telling you. I would absolutely have destroyed my phone, too. It's like, this is none of your business. And the thing is, is they got all the texts. They got all the phone records they wanted. They don't need his phone to do that. They just wanted his phone. And yeah. we know why, because we wanted to see it, too. <laughs> That's 100% right. Glenn's 100% right. They got the text. They didn't need the phone. If your boss came up to you tomorrow and was just like, hey, man, nah, I want to have your phone. I need to look through your phone. There's no way you say, yeah, sure, go for it. 
Like, there's no way. I wouldn't. I'd be like, nah, no, that's not going to happen. Like, you, like, sorry about your luck, bud, but that's not going to happen. And, you know, anybody would do that. They could got the text. They got what they wanted. They just wanted to get the phone, and everybody keeps focusing on that like it's a point, and it's a completely mute point. It doesn't matter. I don't want to drag this dead horse out, but would you destroy your phone? <laughs> I mean, would you go that far? as If I was Tom Brady, I could afford to replace the phone, and I've got the real thing at home? Yeah. <laughs> I'm about due for an upgrade on phone, so yeah, I think I'd destroy my phone just so I could have an excuse to go get the new one. Yeah, that flip phone needs to go. Yeah, well, if you, if you saw my phone, you'd think I'd already destroyed it. Flip phones <laughs> and Zemas. Ryan's working with school. the Motorola Razor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all we got on the news. All right, thanks to the anchor man there, Glenn Lazenizer, always providing great news, even in the off. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're talking about... The defensive backs, the secondary of this team. And we're going to bring on a very special guest we're excited about here. And we'll be right back. Time to pay the bills. Some quick ads and we'll get right back to the show. Hey all you Titans fans, if you're looking for a great app that has all the Titans info that you need in one place, check out the Tennessee Titans app. You can find the links to it on our Facebook or Twitter or on the AppCatch Marketplace. This app features links to the latest Titans news, the official Titans shop, the schedule, Ask Jim Wyatt, videos, pictures, and even a link to the best damn Titans show around, Two-Tone Uncensored. Again, you can find the Tennessee Titans app on our Facebook page at Two-Tone Podcast, on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored, or on the AppCatch Marketplace. Hey, this is Ryan and Rich from the Free Parking Show. Our show is a sports podcast hosted by four sports journalists and features shows like Beers and Cheers, Par for Discourse, and our NFL preview, the 32-team parking garage. Check us out on Stitcher, Spreaker, and our website, www.freeparking.com. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored, brought to you by Pinecast and Stitcher. Hey, this is Bo Scaife. You're listening to Two Tone Uncensored. Tighten up. All right, folks, we're back from the break. We're about to jump into this defensive backs position breakdown here. But before we do, as I promised, very special guest. This was the man that was going to take on Chris Frazier for the TTU title on the show. Uh, unfortunately, Chris Frazier got some carpal tunnel after all that copy and pasting that he did, and he had to back out. You know, it's very sad that he got the, the little injury there. But we're still glad to have what is the champion since the bow out from Frazier, and that is Cody Ledoux. What's up, Cody? Hey, man, how you guys doing? Thank you for having me. What's up, man? Welcome aboard. Yeah, yep, thanks thank for you. coming on the show, man. Unlike Frazier. <laughs> oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, it just sucks, man. You got a career-ending injury. Well, th- thanks for making weight. I mean, you-, you brought enough sack to the weight that you could actually go into the fight. It just didn't happen on the other end. All right, guys, we're going to jump into the secondary here. We're going to start out at the cornerback position. 
And start with the top two guys here, Jason McCourty and Parrish Cox. Cody, what do you think about these two? Do you think they are the, the two starters for this team? Well, my opinion is McCourty, as long as he can stay healthy and as long as he doesn't have another hamstring injury, as of right now, I believe he's our number one corner. As far as Paris Cox, I think he's our number two, but I can maybe see something crazy happening maybe with McCain, maybe somehow jumping him to being our number two, maybe with a good training count and a good showing in the preseason. I can see McCain maybe jumping him. You are absolutely dead wrong. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> McCourty's young question, you know, top corner for this team. He has been for the last five years. They, they named him team captain in 2012. Since then, he's led the team in interceptions and passes defensed. Uh, before last season, he hadn't missed a game in three years, so he's not as injury-prone as he's been given grief for. But last year was a really bad year for him. So uh, my, my problem that I have with McCourty is when he's matched up with better receivers, he gets predictable. It's not fair to just look at the, like the A.J. Greens of this world. But when he is matched up with any of the big, fast guys, they just run the inside slant on him over and over again to force him to suck up close because he likes to play so far back. He's a soft cover corner. And so he plays far back, and then they run those slants on him, draw him forward, and once they do, they beat him over the top over and over again. It's just It hasn't changed since he came into the league. It, it's my only real issue with him. He's got enough physical ability. He just I don't know that he believes in himself enough to play tight man coverage. Honestly, I would make him into a safety, <laughs> uh, make him like his brother, because he does like to play soft, but he's got a really good eye for the ball. He is a pretty good corner. He's just not your number one guy that everybody wants. When I was watching the tape on him, the one thing it did expose was just how much Cody Sensabaugh got burned last year. My God, that guy. <laughs> so the, the the fact that he got hurt left Sensabaugh and Bleedy Ray and some of the other guys we're going to talk about today out there playing too much. So McCourty, he, he's got to be that number one guy. On Cox, like you said, he's probably the number two guy. There's room to beat him out. My thing with him is he's on his fourth team. And he's he's in the fourth team for a reason. He's just he's not that number one corner. He can't keep up with the faster number two guys. When you go back and watch his film, you'll you'll see that his last season in San Francisco before he came to us, he got a lot more physical with receivers. He he was a little bit more bump and run, trying to knock them off their routes, trying to tackle them harder. He can't play against the number one. He can't play against about half of the number twos. So there is room out there for one of these other guys to step up and beat him. One of the things about the system that we're going to be running is you don't have to be a great man corner. This is a system that's built on zones, so you're going to see more of, I think, the McCordy kind of guys, the Parrish Cox kind of guys, where all you have to do is just be able to deny them an area of the field and try to force them towards the safety so the safeties can make the plays for them. As far as you know, who can beat them out, Blake, McCain... I think I lean more towards Blake than McCain, just as as my personal take on the guy. But the problem is they're both five foot nine, and I, I think we've established I don't like short corners. I think Jason McCourty is best su- suited as a safety. We really don't have a true number one, and when it comes to our number two, 
We're, we're in a lot of hurt, I think, because our DBs are not where they should be. And I don't know that the young guys we have coming up are going to fill those shoes either. McCourty is the number one by default, and I don't feel very good about that. Parrish Cox, although he probably will stay at number two, I think he's better suited in the nickel. That's the thing. With all these guys we have on our roster right now, three, maybe even four guys we have are best suited in the nickel. And we only need, you know, one to two guys in that position. We need a true number one. and Really, we need a true number two. I think if McCourty were to move to safety, you know, we could experiment with some other guys. I know Mark Heston Huff is pretty versatile. I don't think he's a number one corner by any means, but I think we need a lot of help, and we're not going to get that until we hit that big free agent. And I think that with all these number twos and number threes that we do have, I'm not sure that anybody on this roster is going to step up and fill those shoes. As you guys all said, McCourty obviously the number one, and I do think he fits better in a safety position. He has phenomenal tackling ability. I mean, he might be the best tackling corner in the NFL, and that fits better in that safety role. He's a physical guy. He, he likes to tackle. He's good at it. I mean, as I said, his aggressiveness will get him out of position sometimes, but more often than not, he makes the right move. And he is. He is by far the best corner that we have on the team. So he's going to stay at cornerback because we can afford to not have him play safety. We cannot afford to have him not play corner right now. Moving on to Parrish Cox, I like this guy. He had that huge season in 2014, but I don't think we're ever going to see that from him again. Parrish Cox only gives up three pounds to Jason McCourty, but he gives up a lot of strength, about a step and a half of speed, really, to where McCourty is. He's To be as slow as Parrish Cox is, you have to be physical. You have to bring that physicality. And like Glenn said, we saw that in 2014. We're not seeing that out of him lately. Not last year, and I don't know if we'll be able to see it this year. He just he doesn't naturally play physical. He really relies on his ball skills, which you can do if you have really superior speed or you're really physical. But you cannot do that as a corner and just rely on ball skills only. And and Parrish Cox has them, but it's just... I think that that 2014 was more of a fluke, and Parrish Cox has to prove me wrong. I still think, though, probably the number two cornerback on our team. But that makes us move into this grouping here, guys, where we're talking about... LaShawn Sims, who we just drafted, Kalen Reed, who we just drafted, and two guys that we just brought in, and Antoine Blake and Bryce McCain. And you guys talked a little bit about guys you think can jump up here. So I know that Glenn and Cody, you guys already said, but Matt, I'll ask you and, and I'll answer myself who we think will jump up if somebody does. But what do you see out of this group here of Sims, Blake, Reed, and McCain? My personal thing is with McCain and Blake, you know, Again, they're short, they're small, you know, they're under six foot. And nowadays, you got teams that have wide receivers that are six three, six four, six five. And quite frankly, when you're under six foot or just barely six foot, you're not going to be able to compete with that. You know, all, all teams are going to have to do is just throw the ball up and just have their wide receiver just out jump you. And and you're not going to be able to do anything about it unless you're some sort of freak of nature and have a crazy jumping ability. You know, I think, honestly, with the rookies that we brought in, with Reed and Sims, and then with the free agent acquisitions of Blake and McCain, 
we we more got depth players, in my opinion. Again, our secondary is going to be our weak link this year on defense, and I don't think we're going to be able to do anything about it till next year. Yeah, the uh, uh, the guys that Ryan mentioned. I mean, moving past Blake and McCain, both you know five nine, both veteran players. Bryce McCain, he was never that good in Houston, and he, there's a reason why he's just bouncing around. He he's he's not going to make it. I honestly don't think uh, McCain makes it to the opening day roster even. He he could be a fill-in guy, but he, he's going to be buried in the depth chart. We have young guys that we want to get more out of. Blake has that potential. He's not a man corner. He's more like a middle safety than a cornerback to me, which in this system, there's a place for that in the nickel and the dime packages. One of the things I think that we're not seeing here as we talk about these guys is we keep talking about that, you know, the, the, the slot corner. I don't know we're going to have a slot corner because so many of these guys are zone corners. There, the, there's a couple of guys I've got kind of tagged on here that I think could be that uh, nickel corner for you, you know, the, the, the guy who you actually match up with somebody. One of those guys is actually Marqueston Huff. He's more of a corner stuck playing safety because there's just no room for him to move up. The other guys that we brought in, uh, I'm looking at LaShawn Sims. He ran a 4-4-1 last spring. It was a verified time, but at the combine, he ran a 4-5-3. So did he put too much muscle on? Did he just not prepare for the combine? It's always kind of a red flag to me. People have talked about he's in receivers' faces. He's kind of a Finnegan-type player. I want to know if he's going to come out there in great shape for camp and really work hard to earn his spot on the team. He's a bubble guy. It sounds to me like he's got the cover skills. He could be that nickel corner that you actually match up with people instead of just putting in a zone spot. But it's going to be, you know, where's his head at? Does he do his preparation work? As far as Kalen Reed goes, he's your Mr. Irrelevant. There's been a lot of talk about what a steal he is. The fact that he was picked so late and has a chance to make the team is the big deal. He's not a man corner. He's not a press corner. So we're looking at another another zone guy. All these zone guys always strike me as safeties that are up playing cornerback because the, the idea is they're just going to control this area. They're not going to just challenge that one player. They're going to run the field with him, release him, let him go. Reed has a lot of promise. I expect him to make the squad. I think he's going to push some of these other guys that we haven't touched on yet. Just He's going to push them off. I think McCain's probably one of those guys that gets pushed off. If I had to guess who the number three corner is off the bat, I would probably say Blake. And then Reed and Sims are going to have to work really hard to work their way up and get on the field. Yeah, to be sort of brief with the breakdown on all these guys, I think actually I would reverse Blake and McCain from what you just said. But the guys down the line that I look for with upside, I really like Reed. I really like Cody Riggs. I think both of them could step into something nice and and potentially be potential down-the-road starters. But as far as the size goes on all these guys, how ironic is it that the the best size of any of these guys is Bleedy Ray Wilson at 6'1", 198? If somebody could coach this guy, I'm telling you, you make fun of me saying I'm the the Bleedy Ray fan club president, but if if we can get him on track, he could easily be that number three guy. I I don't think he's there or anywhere near there, but he has all the potential to do it. And and other than those two guys, Riggs and Reed, I – B.W. Webb made some plays last year. I, I don't. I didn't think we would keep him beyond last year, but looking at what we have right now, currently, I 
wouldn't be too surprised if he somehow ended up on the roster. Yeah, I'm going to disagree with Matt. I, yeah. I don't think like he does that Bleedy Ray is going to be an all-pro player. I mean, I guess we'll see, but Matt, you're really going on a limb there. Jesus. <laughs> but for me, yeah. okay. I you know, I'm with Glenn. He always says I don't like these short guys. I'm not a big fan of these short guys, but for me, Antoine Blake has about 11 pounds on Bryce McCain, and he is a touch faster. So that, to me, puts Blake ahead of him because they're both almost the same guy. They're ball hawks that have average timing, so they don't always get to the ball. They are a little over-aggressive, and that leaves a lot to be desired in their in their passing game. I think, think you're going to expect more from Blake down the road than you can McCain because he has the size benefit. He's still fast with that size. You know, if McCain gets up those 11 pounds, he's going to lose a little bit more speed, making him even slower than Blake is now. So I, I like Blake a lot. I like the big playability, but I don't think either of these guys are, are the, the real answer. LaShawn Sims is a guy that I like, and I know that not a lot of Titans fans are super high on him. He ran that 4-5-3 at the Combine, but he ran a 4-4-1 verified in spring. He has really good size. He has decent speed. Even though his speed's not blow-you-away speed for a cornerback, he has the one thing that can make up for it, and that is great on the wide receiver bump-and-run coverage. That is huge for me. The, you know, McCain and Blake are both those guys that are either going to let you get that 25-yard pass down the field or they're going to intercept it. And for Blake and McCain, more often than not, it it's a completion. Sims is a guy that's not going to get a ton of interceptions, but you're not going to have that guy open. I would rather have that guy in coverage than the guy that's going to get you an interception now and again. Now, I don't think Sims is ready to step on the field now, and I don't think Sims is going to step into that number two position today. But two, three years down the road, I like LaShawn Sims more than I do Blake and McCain because of what he's able to do. I still think he's a year or two away. He needs to to build up to it. But do you look at the tape and the way he plays – the way he moves his hips, it's all fluid. He has brilliant footwork. He can go anywhere. He can play that mirror effect. He can really disrupt routes. I really like this kid a lot. I think he has a lot of potential. Plus, pretty big guy, setting a six foot two hundred and three pounds. One of the bigger guys in our cornerback group. Then for Kalen Reed, for me, this kid is impressive because of you know you look at the stats, the six picks, the two pick sixes. He has that big playability. But he has average coverage ability. You know, he's he has the playmaking ability, but he to me he's just another Blake or McCain, except for he's not nearly as fast. He is a seventh rounder, and that has to be kept in mind. And I think a lot of people get so high on him because he's a seventh rounder that might stick around for a while. But don't get it out of your mind; he's still not ready or anywhere near ready. He's he go, plays better off of the line of scrimmage, and when he gets a chance to read a quarterback's eyes, that is why. I think that Reed projects better as a safety than he does a corner. So I think you'll see him make that change in the future. And he has the frame where he can add weight to that 5'11", 195 pounds, put him in that low 200 groups, which you normally see with safeties. So I I think Reed will end up being a safety before he ends up being a cornerback. Because the thing is, he just doesn't have that great coverage ability. But he does have the big play ability. If he can improve his tackling ability... Uh, he would make a great free safety. But moving on, guys, you guys touched on uh, Bleedy Ray and, and Webb and the rest. 
Is there anybody that you think sticks to the team? We Say we're going to pick the six cornerbacks that we're going to keep on the team. Is it going to be McCourty, Cox, Sims, Blake, Reed, and McCain? Or do you think there's someone that can jump up and take that spot without an injury? And who do you think it would be? Yeah, I, I'm not too sure. I like that list. Bleedy Way needs a ton of work. He's been with us for a little bit, but he still needs all this crazy work with Dick LeBeau and everything. And he has the size, but again, another thing that I noticed with him is when the ball is in the air, he plays it very, very bad. I mean, it's so, it's just not even, it's not easy to watch when he's on the field. He gets beat almost all the time, every time. As far as the six go, I would probably take uh, McCourty, Cox, as much as I pains me to say it, Blake, Kane, Riggs, and Reed. Well, no, actually, you know what? Let me take away. Let me let me take away Blake because <laughs> I think they are going to keep him. I I hope they don't. But um, I honestly I, I have a hunch that BW Webb is going to stick around and. If it was my six, it's different because if we're going with who I think they'll keep and who I want to keep, my six would be McCourty, Cox, McCain, Reed, Riggs, and I'll I'll go ahead and say Bleedy Ray. I'll put Bleedy Ray as my sixth guy. If they can if they can coach him up, I'll stand behind him. I know I know he's awful right now. I understand. I agree with what Cody said. It's hard to watch him, but looking at what we have as a whole. And what he can be, potentially, it's worth it to me to keep him around. I know Ryan loves LaShawn Sims' hips, but I haven't seen much of it. I don't really know much about him. If he can if he can surprise in camp, he could definitely be one of those six. But uh, I see him as a practice squad guy at this point. Once again, the captain of the Bleedy Ray fan club. Hips don't lie. The hips don't <laughs> lie. Oh, that was awful. Okay, so we've got McCordy <laughs> Cox, oh my, oh my. Blake, I think Reed sits around because he's probably going to end up playing safety, you know, at some point. I, I just I can't see McCain staying on the squad because he's just he's never been the guy. He's never had a big season. The last two places he started at, they let him walk. We saw enough of him in the division that I don't think McCain's the guy. I, I don't think they hang on to him. You know, Antoine Blake. I, I'm I'm the first one to bash him on being short, but he doesn't get beat over the top. He keeps the guys in front of him. He does a good job of staying above them, so they can't just beat him deep. So I think he's the third guy that stays. I think they're going to hang on to Sims because he has that physical ability, and they need a project out there somewhere, something for some shine of hope. And then after that, you're talking, you know, Riley, who's not going to make the squad. Riggs, I don't see him making the team. So it's B.W. Webb or Bleedy Ray. I've never been impressed with B.W. Webb. I mean, he had this one season where he played 15 games. Still wasn't that impactful, didn't accomplish much. It's going to have to be Bleedy Ray. That's my sixth yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Oh. <laughs> oh, wow. Man, everybody just hopped on the bandwagon. He, I, yeah. Everybody loves Bleedy Ray tonight. <laughs> Not me, it's man. painful. I'm going to keep this short and sweet here. McCourty and Cox obviously going to make it. McCain and Blake will be Nickelback kind of guys. Then your backups will be Sims, and I think they move Marquez and Huff over from the safeties into the cornerbacks, and you replace him on the safety side with Kalen Reed. So Huff will be your sixth man. So one through six will be McCourty, Cox, Blake, McCain, 
Sims, and Huff. Cody Riggs sticks around on the practice squad, and I think everybody else is probably cut. We're going to move now from the corners into the safeties here. We're going to start at free safety. Rashad Johnson just came to the team this offseason. Obviously the starter at free safety, or would you say somebody else here? My personal opinion, I think I think Johnson's a starter. You know, last year, you know, he played 14 games. He had, I think, 60-some-odd tackles. One of the good things that he did, he gets his hands on the ball. He had, like, seven passes defended, five interceptions. So that's always a good thing. You always want your safety to know where the ball is going to be, where it's at. And he's a good tackler, and I don't think anybody will beat him out unless something crazy happens, like maybe an injury or somebody just blows up in preseason and in training camp. So I think Johnson's the starter come week one. As of right now, I think he was ranked, I think, about like the 30th best safety in the league, which included free safety and strong safety in uh, 2015. So, again, it was only for a one-year deal, so I think it's going to be more like a, let's see how you do this year. If you do good, we'll give you a a contract extension. If you don't do good and you don't live up to the expectations, then then you can walk. So as of right now, I think it's Johnson as our starter. Yeah, Johnson should be the pretty easy guy to have in there. He's a seven-year veteran from a very aggressive defense, you know, the kind of defense that we're expecting to play. He had better corners than he's ever going to see on the Titans from the looks of it. But, you know, he is a definitely an upgrade from Griffin. He's got good instincts. He's always around the ball. He's the kind of guy you need back there to help erase mistakes that he's definitely going to see from our cornerbacks. He's on that one-year deal, going to be out to prove himself, try to earn his last contract for the league. So I see him really working hard. I don't think, unless Bayard just doesn't show us anything, that he's going to be with us next year, though. Uh, it could happen, but I think he's going to try to get one more three-year deal and with the young safeties that we're bringing up, particularly with Bayard, I think they're going to make him move along just to make room for him to start next year. Yeah, I agree with Glenn. I think Johnson's definitely the uh, the starter week one. I think Bayard will see some time on the field, assuming we keep three guys, which I really don't even think we do keep three guys. I think we're probably going to keep one backup safety that's kind of versatile, like, say, Marqueston Huff, I think, could play probably both sides. Johnson will definitely be the starter. I like buyer to come on the field in relief and just in different situations different packages johnson obvious starter here coming off of his six interception season in which he played 93 percent of the snaps johnson's the definition of a ball hawk not a great tackler but can really jump routes and, and can make big plays happen for you last year he had 59 solo tackles and missed 11 that's kind of a lot for a guy that is playing out there at safety. Not exactly what you want. And that is disheartening. But I will take 11 missed tackles for six interceptions any day of the week. I don't think you'll be able to reproduce what he did last year. But, you know, that's a trade-off that I think any coach would take. But we're going to move on here to that, that second group, guys. And that is where we see Kevin Byard here. LaMarcus Brutus, who we signed as an undrafted free agent. And you could throw Kalen Reed in this mix if they move him to safety. What do you think about this group here? I, I like it, but uh, I like the pick with uh, Kevin Byers. You know, uh, he doesn't come from a big school, but he's a good ball hog. He got 19 interceptions, I believe it was. And I think the best thing about him is 
the fact that he's extremely smart. He's very good with football IQ. He's going to know where to be at the right time to make the play. So I think just a matter of time before he does get on the field. Like, like I already said, uh, I think Byard hangs out. I agree that uh, Reed is probably also going to be your safety. I, I'm not sure what Matt's love affair is with LaMarcus Brutus, other than the fact that he played with Jalen Ramsey. Uh, he, he's not fast. He's not quick. But for some reason, Matt keeps bringing up LaMarcus Brutus. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> yeah. uh, he's just I, I don't see him making the squad because as smart as he is, as much as the coaches preach about his work ethic, he doesn't have the physical tools. I don't see him making the squad. So if you've got Johnson, Searcy, Reed, and Byard as your two young safeties that you're looking down the road with, that leaves Huff and Stafford as your kind of your last two guys. Stafford's kind of a – he reminds me a lot of uh, Marcus Pollard, who I wasn't a big fan of. He just he looks to lay the lumber. He's a really gung-ho tackler, but he leaves room open on the back end. He gets too busy trying to hit guys and ends up missing tackles. I would almost switch Kalen Reed and Marquest and Huff. I'd switch those guys and make Huff my uh, sixth DB, put Reed and Byard as my backup safeties, which unfortunately leaves Brutus off the squad. <laughs> That's an interesting take. I kind of like it, to be honest. I, I think Huff is definitely very versatile. I don't, I don't know. You guys are very intent on moving Reed to safety, which could happen. I don't. I never really looked at it that way, but I guess it's possible. Cersei's got that thing locked down. I kind of like Stafford. I know you know he's not the greatest cover guy, but he definitely lays the wood when needed. I think he's a good situational guy, depending on what kind of game we're playing. Lamarcus Brutus, we're really close, but I'm sorry, man, we gotta let you go. And the other guy nobody really spoke about, Josh Aubrey. I don't really see him. He's he's pretty much here just for camp. I actually forgot he was on the team until I looked at it today. But I remember him from Cleveland. He's had a couple decent games. He's not he's not awful, but I don't see him sticking around. Yeah, for me, I, I really like the plan that that Glenn laid out there. You know, putting Huff back at cornerback, which I feel is his more natural position anyway. Putting Reed at safety. Bayard, I like. The one thing about Bayard, the one big knock, is he lacks physicality and he's not a good tackler. You know, this guy's an ankle tackler. He did provide really great stats, extremely high interception totals, has amazing ball skills, very high football IQ, fluid movement, another guy that just moves those hips well. And and I know that Matt hates to hear about the hips, but the hips are the most important part. And he, he does it well, very fluid guy, but he's an ankle tackler. You know, this guy's an ankle biter. He's not a good tackler. That needs to improve for him to be a starting safety. I think that's what keeps him behind Johnson for this year, maybe a couple years. But if that can improve, a Bayard's going to be a heck of a football player in the NFL. As for LaMarcus Brutus, I'll talk about real quick. He's slow, not very strong, very clunky, unfluid, uh, bad hips. The most impressive quality that LaMarcus Brutus has is he might be able to hook you up with a Jalen Ramsey autograph. This kid's off the team. How did you feel about his mom? I mean, damn. How are his hips? They're awful. I said that. I said bad hips. He doesn't like his mom's hips either. Hey, uh, one thing on Bayard, it was discussed that he changed his tackling technique this last year, and it obviously fucked his game up. I think that they probably get back with him. He was a better tackler 
his junior year than he was his senior year. And they were trying to teach him to be more of a wrap-up tackler, and it just didn't work. I don't know if it's just he couldn't get his feet where they needed to be or what. I think they'll probably end up fixing that tackling problem uh, once he gets with these NFL coaches. They'll help him out with that. He won't be quite the ankle biter. He may still be a grounder, but won't be an ankle biter. All right, guys, All right. talking about <laughs> strong safety here, which we touched on a good bit, but we have Cersei coming in as the obvious starter. And then behind him, you have Stafford and Huff, who we've talked about a little bit. What do you have to say about this group as a whole? Yeah, I I, I think it's okay. Sorcy, obviously, our number one. He ranked 13th best safety among all safeties in the NFL. He he makes plays. He's not going to blow you away like a Cam Chancellor is going to do or nothing like that. But he, he makes the plays when you have to make them. Overall, he's a good, solid strong safety, but he's no superstar. Stafford, he he looks for the big hit, kind of like Apollo does, but I think overall Stafford will never be nothing more than just a a backup at that position. So I think our biggest concern is going to be the defensive backs for corners, but strong safety, I think, is is a pretty okay position. Nothing like a top-notch duo. I think that the safeties are a little bit in a better position than our corners are. That being said, I don't think the secondary as a whole is sitting pretty by any means, but I do think that they are slightly better positioned to succeed than what we have at corner. I think as long as we can get two quality starters and, and plug in Kevin Byard as much as we can, I think we'll be all right. The corners are definitely our, probably our weakest position. I've said it, before, I think, obviously, the, the secondary and the O-line are definitely our weakest two positions that we have on the whole entire team. But it really stands out after breaking all, those, all these corners down how much trouble we really could be in if we don't improve. I know last year was awful to watch. But I, I do think that the with bringing Rashad Johnson in, Cersei's solid. I think with we groomed Byard correctly, and you know we got Huff as very versatile as he is. I think he can fill in at certain spots. And I think with Dick LeBeau running the show this year that it will make a difference. Yeah, Cersei was a better player when he was at Buffalo than he was last year. And I think a big part of that was the guys playing in front of him, his corners, were just getting burnt so much that he was spending too much time trying to watch out for them and cover them. And we heard a little bit about that from Michael Griffin, who was kept talking about, I'm back here just trying to clean up the mess. These guys in front of me... You know, they, they can't cover their guys. They always end up leaving people open. Cersei's at his best when he has a chance to run around and make plays. And you can't run around and make plays when you're spending your whole time just trying not to let somebody score a touchdown because your cornerbacks just can't hang with anybody. So I think he's a better player than what we saw last year. I'm hoping this year he gets a better chance to show that. What we saw wasn't all that impressive. I think that a year in the system, a year with – better corners out there on those receivers. We're going to see a little bit more from them, probably get some more interceptions, definitely get a chance to make a few more plays in the running game too. I'm going to disagree a little bit here, Glenn. I was pretty impressed with what I saw out of Cersei last year, considering who he was playing with. Only allowed one touchdown that was really his fault, added an interception on that. He played 90% of the snaps last year and and only gave up one single TD and the guys playing in front of him were garbage. You know, he's above average run stopper. He is a little bit too easy to block when he gets inside of the box. 
but he makes up with that by being quick around edges, especially on outside runs. He only missed five tackles and over 900 snaps last year. I mean, that's just unbelievable. Not an all-pro kind of a guy, but above-average safety. In my opinion, he was the lone bright spot in just a sea of garbage that was the Tennessee's secondary last year. I, I like Cersei a good bit, and obviously I think he's going to be the starter. Stafford under him, you know, he's solid in coverage, struggles against the run, and is an awful tackler. Last year, he had 16 tackles and 6 missed tackles, which means about 30% of the time that he goes to tackle you, he's going to miss, which is garbage numbers. Those are awful. And it is, as Cody was saying, he you know he goes for the hit stick every single time. It's like playing Madden. You know, you go for the hit stick right when the guy jukes, you're missing him every single time. He goes for that huge hit every single time, and it just... It ends up with a lot of missed tackles. If he learns to wrap and tackle and sticks to that more than trying to take the guy's head off, I think he could really improve. They know that's obviously the weakest part of his game, but he's still young. You know, he's heading into his fourth year now, uh, being a seventh-round pick out of Nebraska. So I think that he'll he'll do just fine, and he's going to progress. And as long as he can get his head straight and know that he doesn't need to take the guy's head off every single time he hits somebody, he'll be just fine. For Huff fast, has range, plays with a lot of toughness. He's a hard worker. He's an easy guy to like because of his work ethic, but he's just not that great in coverage. He's not a great run stopper. He's not a very big guy for his safety. He's clocking in under 200 pounds. I think that he plays better, projects better as a corner. As we were talking about earlier, that's where I hope he ends up. Because I just I'm just not seeing it from him as a, sa- a safety. He just doesn't fit uh, the position. But he is tough. He's a big corner. He'd be a small safety, but he plays with that toughness and and can play in press coverage. So I I think you move him to corner, and I think he'll be more successful there. Uh, we definitely need some help on the DB side. So um, apparently we got a thousand times better from from Mister Copy and Paste himself, but. Oh, Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is the same dude that that bitched out, and he's probably gonna bitch out on the bet too. So, what's the bet? The bet is if by week one of the regular season, not due to injury, Tajay Sharp is either number one or number two wide receiver, oh, I had to I had to buy him the uh, Tajay Sharp jersey, and. <laughs> If, if he's not, if he's the number three wide receiver, he has to buy me a jersey of, I decided to choose, I, I went with Derrick Henry. That Derrick Henry jersey fits just <laughs> perfect. I hope it's snug, man, because you're going to be getting that Derrick Henry jersey pretty soon. Yeah, uh, that's, that's what I keep telling him too, but, you know, Mr. Copy and Pace himself, you know, he seems to, I think he has a man course on the man, so. You think? Yeah. I don't know that the, the plagiarizer is going to pay up, so we'll see, we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We will. We'll All right, we'll, we'll quit shit talking. We'll get out of here, folks. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the show. Be sure to check us out on Facebook and Twitter. You can listen to the show on the Stitcher app or by checking out twotone.pinecast.co. we got a lot more coming. We're, you know, we're heading into the preseason here, into training camp. A lot more coming. Keep those questions coming in the mailbag. And thanks a lot for Cody Ledoux 
for coming on, man. It, it means a lot for us that you actually came on the show, unlike your colleague. So thanks a lot, man. Yeah, man, no problem. Yeah, thanks man. for having me. I was looking forward to it. Yeah, give us a tighten up. Oh, yeah, tighten up, baby. Perfect way to end the show. Let's get out. Thanks for listening to the Two-Tone Uncensored Podcast. You can listen to the show at twotone.pinecast.co or by downloading the Stitcher app on your mobile device. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Two-Tone Uncensored and like it on Facebook.